You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series on 1 Samuel, presented by Steve Coleman, elder and member of New Hope Chapel's teaching team. Well, thank you, team, worship team, for a wonderful set. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll be looking at that this morning on our series on uh, Set Apart. First, they tell the story of two brothers who were rich, but also had secretly lived godless lives. They lived wildly, using their wealth to cover up wicked activities and corrupt character. To keep up a good Christian image, though, they attended the same church. They gave money regularly to various church-related projects. But one day, it happened. One of the brothers died. The surviving, uh, and, and the pastor was asked to preach at his funeral. The surviving brother looked him in the eye, gave, him, gave the minister an envelope, and said, here is a check that will pay for the entire amount needed for the new church building. I only ask one favor. Tell the people at the funeral that my brother was a saint. Well, the pastor really wanted the money. But knowing the truth about the brothers, didn't see how he could make a statement like that. Then he had an idea, said he'd do it, deposited the check in the bank, and the next day at the funeral said this. This man was ungodly, caused untold harm to many, just plain evil to the core. In fact, he was probably one of the most detestable people you will ever have the misfortune to meet. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> well, we've got the account of two, of two brothers whose behavior uh, was not good. Is it plugged into the laptop? There you go. Don't have that wireless capability of those Apple products. <laughs> well, Hophni and Phineas, these were the two sons of Eli the high priest, and we mentioned him last week when we were talking. And we have the account there in, in 1 Samuel 2, I think starting in verse 13. God's left us no doubt about what to think about Hophni and Phinehas. The first two statements he makes about them are, they were scoundrels. And then secondly, they had no regard for the Lord. So already, if you remember from last week, we talked in 1 Samuel chapter 1 about the birth of Samuel and how his mother Hannah, even in her asking for a child, her preparation for that child, and, and what she did as a mother all serve as a tremendous illustration of what being set apart is about. We're going to hear a little bit more about Samuel and how he stays on that track. But God's presenting Samuel here as a man set apart for God. In this section, as we roll here, the reason God's placed this little section, I believe, here was not only to give us a flavor of the world in which Samuel was growing up, and, and the corruption that had infiltrated the priesthood through Hophni and Phinehas, but also to show us the sort of quintessential example of the opposite of holiness 
or set-apartness, kind of the anti-set-apart. Set, as, as we talked about last week, holiness, really, the word holiness in Hebrew it is getting at the idea of being set apart. So we really use those two things uh, synonymously, and you can use them pretty much in Scripture synonymously the same way. Holiness we attribute to God, we attribute certain things, but it's the word set apart. Set apart, in this case, for God or for good, rather than being set apart for uh, bad things. Here's an ad from a, a Chinese restaurant. And, and their idea of how they could set themselves apart. I don't know if you can read the text there. But it says, MySpace... Facebook, we can barely figure out how to open our cash register. Then under the business card, it says, traditional Chinese cuisine, cash only. <laughs> Clever, but this is how they said, we're set apart, we're different. We're not your ordinary Chinese restaurant. We're all about traditional Chinese food. And we don't know much about anything else, but we know Chinese food and we know traditional Chinese food. That's the kind of set-apart we mean, where it is wholly and completely different. All right, well, what did uh, Hophni and Phineas do to earn these labels by God? Well, if you'll um, if you read starting in verse 13, it said, Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites that came to Shiloh. But even before uh, uh, Shiloh, but now in verse 15 it talks about Hophni and Phineas's way. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. Wow. Wrong, as they say, on so many levels. Here the priests, the sons of the high priest, operating in the temple area, and what are they doing? Well, they're extorting people, for one thing, acting like the mob, the priest mob. Uh, we don't want any of your boiled meat. We're tired of that. We want a nice roast meat. And we don't want to let God's, I, 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 this practice of, of dipping the fork into the cauldron to get meat, uh, it, it isn't in the Torah. It isn't in the law of Moses. It's a practice that developed. I, my guess is it's oriented around the idea of faith. They hear these priests that depend on this food, and so they plunge this fork in, and what God brings up on the hooks, that's what the priests get. Well, Hophni and Phineas, they like their pork chops. I guess pork wasn't on the menu, was it? They, <laughs> they, like, they like their lamb shanks. 
whatever the good part of the lamb is. They like that. And, um, and so they wanted to, to pick. And then, you notice, they were asking for the fat, too. Which, I know, in our society, we're kind of down on fat. But, but back then, that was considered the delicacy of the animal. That had many uses besides eating, but in eating, it was considered part of the delicacy. And that was completely to go, be burned and go for a sacrifice. Because why? God asked for the first fruits, the best, the, 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 the top things in the sacrifice. It was part of the process of the sacrifice system. And here it's obvious that the pre-servant was getting hold of this stuff and that Hophni and Phinehas were going to get at least their share of fat. Because the worshippers, if the worshippers said, no, 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 burn the fat first, at least get that to God, you know, before, don't, you know, before you mess up my offering. And they're saying, no, 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 we get it. We get it now. We get the pick. Well, what's the problem with this? God tells us in the next verse. Contempt. They were treating the offering with contempt. Well, what does that mean? It means they were despising it. They had a lack of respect or reverence. You know, the first part, that tent that was built into the law, was to go to God. And they weren't even considering that part. They were just looking out for what they were going to get. You know, the, uh, the best parts were the primary requirement. In Leviticus, we read, Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, the maimed, or anything with warts or sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as food offered and presented to the Lord. Well, this wasn't a case of offering less than acceptable, less than unblemished uh, oxen or sheep. This was a case of, okay, here's the oxen and sheep, but we're going to take the best parts. We're skimming off the top. Then the Lord gets his share, and then the worshiper gets what's left. They were gaming the system. Malachi talks about, uh, in a whole different time period, Malachi wrote, if you remember, about 400 years before Christ. And the priests had their problems then too. Uh, a problem with showing contempt of sacrifices, but more to this issue of, of presenting unacceptable sacrifices. In Malachi it says, uh, and this is presenting the form of a dialogue between God and the priests. God, it is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And God replies, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? And he says this. Listen to it in light of 1 Samuel. By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? What's interesting about this passage, same issue of contempt different specific sin involved. But as God talks, he says, it's defiled food. Well, what are, what are defiled things? Well, they're things that aren't what they should be anymore. They've been spoiled somehow. They are uh, ruined. 
they are contaminated. They're unclean now. They're impure. Well, this brings us sort of back to the idea of being set apart. Unless you keep things set apart carefully, they are going to get contaminated. Unless you're careful with them. Unless you make a deliberate effort. But here's Hopney and Phineas, not even, not only not trying to make an effort, but they were the ones causing the this sacrifice to not be set apart. They wanted for themselves, and that trumped any consideration of what God's doing. You know, again, wrong on so many levels. They were priests. That's what they were about. They were the experts on the law. They were the experts on sacrifices. They were the the anointed sort of mediators for the people to do this. And these are the very people that are um, perpetrating this fraud. The problem wasn't just skimming the cream on the top. It was the attitude, me, me making me the important, what I want, what I need. And that, you know, we've already had our chance at driving our own lives, and we made a disaster of it. That's why we needed a Savior. God loved me and gave himself. My response is to love him back, which is giving, not focusing on me. Setting him apart, making him preeminent. Well, let me introduce you to to a guy that's going to help us understand this. A guy named Charles Ponzi. You may recognize the name Ponzi because of a recent financier who did a Ponzi scheme. Uh, It's called a Ponzi scheme, not because Charles Ponzi was the first guy that did it, but in the 1920s, he's the first one that did it to the extent in America where it gained national attention and notoriety. Of course, Charles Ponzi didn't remain smiling forever. So he ended up in prison, as did the more recent person. But what is a Ponzi scheme? It's fraud. It's taking money from people, saying you're going to invest it. Instead, you take a bunch of the money for yourself, and you use the rest of the money to pay the person back a little bit and say, look, this is your return on your investment, or paying other people back on return on investment. So there is no real investment going on. You're perpetrating a fraud. Why? Because you want the money. Now, with these, with these folks, is does the schemer hate the victim in this? Did Charles Ponzi hate the people that he was perpetrating this fraud on, and that's why he did it? Certainly not the case with the more recent Bernie Madoff. He said, man, I really feel badly for the people whose lives I ruined completely. Well, well what happened, Bernie? Well, he wanted it too much. He was so absorbed in himself that um, other people weren't even in the picture, never came to mind. He didn't even notice. He was self-consumed. And you know, I have that problem too. Being self-consumed like this, being it's all part of the sin nature. And it means I have to move against the current sometimes in my life. I'm going to feel the tug of that current. It's going to take a little work to push against the current. It's so easy just to sit there in my inflated tire and float down the creek. But that's not what I'm called to do. We have to feel the pull from time to time. 
Why do you think God asked for sacrifices? Why, in the old days, did he need those sheep and cattle? Did he need all that fat? Couldn't he spare a little? No, I think the discipline of setting things apart included the Old Testament sacrifice system, and it includes us today and the choices that we make. I think a big part of it is that the discipline of setting things apart is important in that it focuses our minds. We have to acknowledge a specific reason and purpose. It turns us to God. It's honoring something. It's recognizing that something is different than the ordinary, that it needs to be separate. And God used a sacrifice system to help illustrate to people how holy, how set apart he was from normal. And that they needed to think in those terms to um, pull against the tug of the current. You know, we see kind of an illustration of this sort of focus and there's nothing like the sports world for doing that. I know there's a professional basketball team where many of the players decided not to shave until their team could get back to 500. And I think they went months. I don't know if it's even over now, but they're some pretty scraggly-looking guys. But baseball really captures it. Baseball has its rally cap. And that's where you turn your hat inside out or, or some, some other permutations of it where you say, okay, that's it. The game so far has been going along, and that's unacceptable. It's time to rally. It's time to do something different, and we're all in it together. We're all connecting on this. We're all focusing. We're not chatting about where we're going to eat after the, the game now. We're all hanging over the fence, intently focused on this game to make it happen. One of my uh, I, I didn't see this in person, but one of the pictures that, that cracked me up was this professional baseball team who decided to uh, balance baseballs on the brim of their cap. So, uh, but again, every eye on the field, we're turning this thing around right now. We need to do that. Romans 8, that we heard, uh, I can't remember who did that session. But those that live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You know, Eli felt the tug. He felt the pull. He knew something wasn't right. He knew about his son's behaviors. And he confronted them. You can read that in verses 23 and 24, 22 and 23, where he says... You know, I'm, I'm hearing back from the worshipers that are coming at what you're doing. I'm even hearing that you're sleeping with the women that serve outside the door of the tabernacle. Talk about helping to encourage the work of God to go forward. Again, all focused on self, no concern, no care. God calls it contempt. So finally, God's patience reached a breaking point. In the last portion of chapter 2, we have... Um, a prophecy sort of given to, to, to uh, Eli, saying, you know what? Your line has been the one that's been going on, but it's going to be cut off as of now. Matter of fact, as a sign to you, both your sons are going to die in the same day. And I think Justin will be telling you about that in a week or two. Um, and this is done. You, 
your, your heritage has been pulled up. Now, he felt the tug. He had gone and, and challenged Hophni and Phinehas, but they didn't repent. Another strike against them. Well, to sort of sum up and review uh, what we've seen in this chapter and seen in chapter 1, we, we have Samuel, and these are phrases used in chapter 2, many of them. But he spent his time ministering before the Lord under Eli, the high priest. He grew up in the presence of the Lord. He grew in favor with the Lord and men, it says. And his family was blessed. I think I read that last week, that Hannah, who had been childless until Samuel was born, went ahead and had uh, five more children. In contrast, Hophni and Phinehas, no regard for the Lord. They rigged the sacrifices and they extorted meat. So, if you want to remember a three-point outline of the things they did with sacrifice, fat, force, remember they were going to take it by force, and I couldn't think of an F, it's contempt, because that's what the Lord says. Fat, force, and contempt. They slept with women who served at the tabernacle, they were unrepentant, and what happens? Judgment. Condemned to die. You know, Hophni and Phinehas acted as if they were clueless about the God they were serving. I saw a cartoon that reminds me of this a little bit. So we have a guy saying, I love the music at your church. Who's this Jesus guy they sing about? And the answer is, no idea, but we've sung about him for years. <laughs> that sums up Hophni and Phinehas to me. Clueless about what they're about. Uh, and and um, the challenge for us, I think, that God's presenting here is the same. We need to not be clueless about what we are about. I noticed that this Sunday and this message fell on Communion Sunday. And so I asked them if we could wait and have communion after the message rather than before because I thought it didn't make sense to talk about sacrifice and worship and uh, things like that uh, after we've done it. It makes more sense when we've talked about it here. Just think of this as an extended communion service. And, uh, and we will um, we'll go ahead and if, if you want to go ahead and pass out the matzah and the grape juice, we'll transition into that. Uh, but communion is a time that we set apart for the Lord, set apart, this period, in order to remember him and what he's done for us. Now, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, because in that process, there's a particular warning in here that I think it's useful for us to just look at and realize what the implications are for us. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment to themselves. Now, Paul is writing, this is out of 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And if you know anything about that letter and the things that Paul addresses in there, here was a church that had lots and lots of problems. And they had problems around their celebration of communion. I'm not suggesting, and from from studying 1 Corinthians, it's very clear, we don't have those problems as a church. But it is interesting that he lays this out for us. And I think there's some things here that we can uh, make use of uh, as we go before the Lord and think in terms of this. How do we discern the Lord's body? Discerning means recognizing, acknowledging, or identifying uh, something as separate and distinct. In other words, one, a common use we have for it is when we say we discern right from wrong. We know what it is. We can say what it is. We understand what it is. We know how to do one and not the other. And uh, that's kind of the meaning of discern. So when we talk about discerning the Lord's body, uh, let me suggest as a first step, as Paul writes here, we should examine ourselves. In examining ourselves, there's a critical role in sort of putting the rest of our lives, that day-to-day humdrum, the, um, all the issues, stressors, concerns that bug us during the week, all the ways we fail during the week. It, this has a way of getting all that and pushing it behind us so that we don't have to think about those things and we have a clear mind to focus on the Lord. You know, as we examine ourselves, uh, as we raise children, um, we raised four children fairly close in age, Julie and I, and there was many a Sunday that I showed up in church and I didn't really feel a whole lot like this was going to be a good worship day. You know, I may have raised my voice to my children, got a little short with them, uh, and said sometimes it was a battle to get everybody ready and into the car and to the church. Um, Sometimes something that happened the night before could be such, uh, you know, you're still trying to recover from. But the, to take the opportunity to examine yourself and look and see, are there things that you think you failed at, that you've sinned at? Well, this is a great time to confess that. The beautiful thing about confession is it does not going to stop you from uh, participating in communion. First uh, John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The real beautiful thing about that verse, to me, is the word just. If I was writing that verse, I would say, if we confess our sins, he is loving and merciful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's not what the Bible says. It says he's just to forgive us our sins. It's an act of justice. It's the right thing to do. And why is that? Because Christ has paid for all of our sins already. It's done. So when we come to confess to him, it's not to really get forgiveness or beg forgiveness. It's to recognize that it has been done. 
He is just to forgive us so we can, we know we're forgiven. We can, we can hang that on, on, on fact, on the solid rock of fact. And then there's also, there's also the sins we've committed. The other thing that used to trip me up in worshiping is the guilt of feeling like I failed or sinned. That hangs on. And it hangs on because, maybe human nature, but certainly something that Satan doesn't want us to worship and, and might bring things forward. That same verse, 1 John 1, 9, lets us know, you know what? All that's covered. We can be guilt-free. We're told to be guilt-free because God has taken care of, um, of our sin and he loves us. He loves that we're here to worship him. So those things are involved in examining yourself. So confess your sin, confess your guilt, uh, even tell the Lord you want to put away all the stuff from the week, push it aside, and then enjoy your forgiven status. The other part is it's talking about if you don't discern the Lord's body, you drink judgment to yourself. If discerning is recognizing and understanding and being something other than Hopney and Phineas, who were just treated it with contempt, it's understanding what the matzah and grape juice symbolize. Yes, they're just symbols. They're just a piece of matzah and grape juice. There's nothing special about those items in your hand, but they symbolize Christ, his love for us, his sacrifice on our behalf, the fact that he gave himself up to be crucified on the cross, broken body, poured out blood for us. So understand what those things symbolize, and you're recognizing the body and blood of the Lord. You're meeting what Paul says. And then, of course, setting apart, and this time is set apart, so this is a time where we focus on Christ alone. We're not going to be perfect at that, we're humans, but that's the goal and that's what we try to do. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.